Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. I'm in studio here with Cody Beeson, and we have a special guest on our show, Matt McGuire. He is the Chief Agriculture Officer of J.V. Smith Farms here in Yuma. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about water law and what's going on with uh, the mega drought that the West has been experiencing. We hear a lot about uh, climate change and uh, how eventually we're going to be a dust bowl here in Yuma and, and maybe in the larger Southwest. But we've seen a lot of rain, a lot of snow, uh, records amounts of precipitation, and it seems that that might be helping us out and refilling our reservoirs, but we're going to see to what extent that'll help out because um, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. And so Matt's going to talk to us a little bit about not only the weather, what's going on with that, and, and how that's helping with the drought situation, but the water laws and um, the fight over the water and the access to it. So good morning, Matt. Well, good morning, Sean. How are you doing? Good. Um, so... Matt, you've been working with JV Farms for how long? About 18 years now. And and what do you do specifically? Like what is your job if you're well, getting everything right there? I actually work for JV Smith Companies, and we have a couple of farms throughout the vegetable region. So here in Yuma, we have JV Farms. Up in Slings, we have Triangle Farms. In Colorado, we have Southern Colorado Farms, and we have a business uh, farming right across the border in Alcadona is called El Toro. Okay. And your primary objective is to make sure that the farming operations has enough water to grow the crops that you're producing. Water's part of it. Got to have water, got to have land to uh, raise crops. But yes, part of my job encompasses that, encompasses uh, logistics between all the companies, seed, you know, contracts with, with shippers out of slings, that kind of thing. But got to have water. Right. And that's what we're talking about particularly today. Um, in the past couple of years, Arizona has had some restrictions um, implemented that have reduced its water allotment from the Colorado River. And uh, in 2021, and I might be slightly off on these figures, but I believe the restriction was eight, it was reduced by 18%. The allotment to Arizona? Yes. Basically, the Southwest has been in a drought to severe drought the last five years. So in 2021, they declared a tier one shortage, which cut some of Arizona out of the CAP, the Central Arizona Project. And and the guidelines to who gets cut all and when they get cut is all determined on the lake levels of Lake Mead, Lake Powell, and the, depending on water rights and allocations, uh, the interim guidelines that were written in 2007 determines at what levels who gets cut and how much. Well, and as a resident here in Yuma, we know that if we don't have water, it, it, it becomes unlivable. And so we need the Colorado River. And the question is, is there enough water to go around? And if so, do we have the right to it under the law? So looking back just in um, history as far as what the precipitation was, I don't see a decline of 60, 70 percent 
but the reservoirs are down that amount. They're down by 70, 75% of average. And that gets really scary, but I don't understand why. If, if the precipitation isn't down that much, why are the reservoirs down so much? And why are current, so we talked about in 2021, the restrictions for Arizona was 18%, but then it went up again in, in um, 2022 to 26%. Right, we hit a tier two shortage. And it's easy to understand why we're running short. Okay. When the river was allocated, Okay, under what they knew at the time, and they had just had three of their wettest years uh, in their history back in that time, they allocated 17 million acre feet. Now with tree rings and other scientific data, we show the average inflow over the last 100 years is only 15 million acre feet. Right. So that's one foundational problem. The river's over allocated to water right holders by 2 million acre feet. On top of that, let's talk about upper basin and lower basin. So the upper basin states got 8.5 million acre feet out of the, and the lower basin got 8.5 million acre feet. So one of the things being discussed widely now, besides just the 2 million acre feet over allocation, the upper basin, when they deliver that 8.5 million acre feet to their water users, they take out evaporation and system losses. The lower basin, which includes us, never took that into account, and that was never part of the law of the river. So that's another million, million and a half acre feet, moss or manos, that was never taken into account. So the river's really over allocated between three and three and a half million acre feet on just average rainfall. Forget droughts, forget everything else. It's it, That's a foundational problem. So if we could really just get back and to the drawing board and say, listen, this 1922 compact where we indicated who gets what, because that, that, that's where the water laws essentially go back to. Basically. Yeah, and that's our, our foundational point, and then they keep getting modified over the years. But uh, we, we looked at historical rainfall and we said, well, that at that time, it was more, it was higher than average. And so then over the long term, we've got less water, even if we're not in a drought, just regular rainfall, regular river flow, it's less than we anticipated. Number one, because it just didn't rain as much on, you know, a hundred year period. And number two, because all the evaporation and the leakage and the canals and the pipes and the other um, infrastructure accounts for an another apportionment of water that's lost. Yeah, I, I, I'm a simple guy. So I go back that the river was allocated fairly to what they thought they knew, and everybody agreed to it. Right. So go back to that premise. So they allocated 17 million acre feet. They allocated too much. Mm -hmm. So now they're kind of trying to come up with all these different scenarios, who gets cut, why they get cut, models. Hey, it's easy. They need to cut 18% out of everybody, everybody, takes an equal 18 amount. You go back to the premise, 1922, yeah. say, wait a minute, there's only 15 million acres. We were working off of going to evaporate. numbers, yeah. Take 18% out of everybody and then go back to the law of the river, how it, you know, all the additions, how it's tiered out, how, who gets shortages, who doesn't get shortages from that point on. And and, and that makes sense. And so we, we're working off a false premise, correct the premise, reallocate it there, and then um, we should allow the 
the reservoirs to fill back up, especially in wet years like this. We had a, we had another wet year in 2019 where we could have um, saved up a bunch of water, especially in California where they had a record high snowpack and rainfall, but the reservoirs, even though they were filled up, some to overflow in like Orville and flooding, um, those reservoirs were, were let out and um, some of it into the ocean instead of using their allocation for their farmers, and they continue to use the Colorado River. Right. The Colorado River, this over-allocation, I've been hearing about it for 30 years. It's not something new. They know it's been out there. They know they've been delivering way too much water out of the Colorado River. They just haven't tackled the problem. But every time I read a story on it, and I've read dozens of stories on this, they say, Climate change, we told you this was going to happen. Nobody changed their ways. You start, you're not driving electric cars. And so because of climate change, now look at the dire circumstances that we're in. We've got uh, the biggest reservoirs in North America drying up. And in reality, we've been just overusing what was there and has been there over the past 80 years. You know, people give climate change, and climate has changed since I first came to the desert. Climate has changed since the existence of the Earth. Right. It changes. So are we about to go into a wet period, cold period, warm period? You know, you know we have these cycles. It, it's hard to, for me, in, in my short history on this Earth and how long I'll live here, to claim climate change. I know we've had a drought the last four or five years. Okay. But not every one of those four or five years. 2019 not, was actually not everyone. That yeah. that's the thing. So the problem is, is we our foundation to how to allocate the river is totally wrong. Yeah. We've allocated it. So now, when we do have drought years, now we have a real problem because we don't have the reservoirs full, and the mechanisms that we have to fix the river reservoirs aren't going to work because the river is over allocated to begin with. So there's not enough cuts in the guidelines to to deal with both problems at the same time. So getting back to your 18%, simple solution. Simple solution. Take 18% out of the cities, out of CAP, out of San Diego, out of uh, Imperial County, out of us, out of Welton, Gila Valley, you know, all the way up and down the river, 18% was over-allocated. And, and, and the federal government's asked us, it's the, the seven... Colorado Basin states to come to an agreement as to how to deal with this water issue. Otherwise, they're going to step in. So there's there's three options that we have. We've got do nothing and let the reservoirs run dry. We've got uh, come to an agreement between the states that we can all live with and then keep the federal government at bay as, as to intervention. And then we've got we can't cooperate. Federal government comes in and they, they determine who gets what. Well, there's a couple problems with all those scenarios. The, let's take the last one first. Okay. The federal government steps in. The only right the federal government has to step in is that the Secretary of Interior declares an emergency along the river. Uh-huh. Uh, my question uh, you know, to you or a legal person is, what's emergency? Because the compact right now and the guidelines of the river calls for cuts depending on priorities all the way down to the river's empty. So there's a mechanism in place to cut water out of everybody along the way in place right now as these lake levels go by. So what's the emergency? One of the emergencies, I'll tell you right off the bat, is 
these cuts come by looking backwards at lake levels. That's been one of the problems, not looking forward on everybody's best guess for rain and snow for the next year. Mm -hmm. So once the lake levels are down, then they make cuts. Well, the trouble is then we had a drought the next year and the lake went down further because we took care of the drought at the time, but then we had a bigger drought the next year. Yeah, it's like a credit card debt. You're yeah. always chasing it yeah. and you're never getting caught exactly up. Exactly right. So, and most people I've talked to said the trouble is if the Fed step in, there's going to be a lot of legal challenges. Yeah. There'll be an injunction. The states will foot this. Whatever they too. say would be put on hold and we'll be into the same scenario we're right now until it goes up to the Supreme Court and it gets uh, uh, adjudicated. And the Supreme Court is, is they're tasked with looking at what the law is. They, they typically don't look at what is equitable. They look at what is the law, and they interpret and uh, make judgments and, and orders on the law. Yeah, there's been a number of legal... Uh, people set out opinions. One of them I read in the LA Times. Uh, so, you know, the LA Times point of view, the LA Basin point of view. And he said, morally, ethically, California's bankrupt because they won't give up some of their water. But if it goes to court, they will win because they are 100% on the legal side of the law. And that's everything I've read as well, because of the 1922 compact being our foundation and each of the agreements subsequent to that because we continued in this uh, misunderstanding of how much water was coming down the river and would continue coming down the river on on an average basis. And so Arizona seemed to be short-sighted in negotiating those agreements and agreed, well, if we're going to create this Central Arizona project, we'll be the first to take the cuts in the water, thinking, well, it's not likely that the water is going to go down that much. Is well, that The premise of the, wa- the river's first straw in has the best rights. CAP was the last one of the last straws in, so that's why they got to take one of the first cuts, and that was affirmed in the California versus Arizona Supreme Court decision in 1977. That was settled out. So that is true, but... But the CAP isn't a separate state. The CAP is part of Arizona, yet in the, the agreement that was renegotiated with the CAP being able to be constructed was that Arizona, and, and then Arizona would reallocate to the CAP, but all of the water that was going to be used by the CAP, the CAP and thus Arizona would have to be um, eliminated first right. before our before California took any cuts. Well, there was two important things in that decree. First off, since Arizona hadn't been using that water, that's why they're at the end of the list that if there's cuts, that they would take some of the first cuts. Yeah, that's the, the law of the river. Law of the river. The other thing that was done that people forget that's very important is contributaries to the Colorado River are considered Colorado River water except in Arizona. So the Gila River, the Salt River, that all flow into the Colorado River, in that decree, it was determined since Arizona was already tapping those rivers, they could keep those rivers, they're theirs, and all the water out of them. So Arizona is a little special when it comes to the seven states in that they get to use the contributing waters to the Colorado as themselves and not have it count 
as part of their Colorado allotment. And that that makes sense, because uh, how much does California contribute to the Colorado River? Well, they got the new river. (laughs) Not much. Not much. Yeah. And and we've got... So we've got the upper basin states, and that's Utah, Wyoming, Colorado, and that's where most of the water is falling, or most of the precipitation is falling, and, and that's what generates the river. And um, they don't seem to be having the squabble that we have. Well, the upper basin has not been using all their water. So not a lot of squabbles. They're not using it all. The excess runs down river. And then actually for a long time, California used that water. That's one of the problems. California, the way the law of the river works is if you don't use it, you lose it. It goes downstream and somebody else can pick it up. California was picking it up. Now everybody's starting to draw out of the river. They're close to their state entitlements. California had to do, that's where all these negotiations came from, from MWD in San Diego, because at one time they were taking excess water. So uh, another big difference between the upper basin states and the lower basin states is when there's reductions in water usage, they apply to different states differently. Arizona takes a much bigger hit in reductions when there's a drought than California does, whereas in the upper basin, my understanding is it's proportionate to the state's allocation. So if uh, Colorado is receiving, say, 40% of the water in the Colorado River and there's less water, then their reduction is going to be based on their 40% proportionate distribution. That goes back to priority water rights. So first in uh, gets to stay the longest, last in gets out first. The upper basin all drew upon the river about the same time, and so the cuts are even throughout there. But that seems to be the solution for here as well, the cuts being even throughout it, throughout the states. No. What I would say is first off, the river is over-allocated. Yeah. So all the proposals in front of the the Bureau of Interior right now, Bureau of Reclamation, uh, doesn't deal with that foundational problem. California's offering to leave some extra water behind the dam for right now. Uh, Everybody's offering to leave some extra water in the dam, but it's not permanent. They're not permanently altering the foundation. They say for right now, for the next three years, We'll leave 700,000 acre feet behind there. We'll leave 200,000 acre feet behind there to stabilize the river. Doesn't deal with the problem that the river's over allocated. They need, in my mind, a permanent solution to that. So that's why I say take 18% off everybody. That's the everybody's new water rights. Upper and lower? Upper and lower. Take 18% off of everybody. Now let's... Let's rewrite or go by the interim guidelines, operating guidelines of the of the uh, system, because that's that's where these cuts are getting from right I now see. at lake level. I see that makes sense. We're gonna have to take a break, but I want I finally get it now. Um, we're gonna come back. This is five sixty a.m. KBLU Life, Death, and the Law. More thought provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law. Right here after this. Thank you. 
You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM, KBLU. I am Sean Garner, an attorney with Deason, Garner, Hanson, and I'm joined in studio here with Adam Hanson, Cody Beeson, and our special guest, Matt McGuire, who is um, what I would consider a water specialist. His, his specific term is he is the um, company... Agriculture Operations Manager. Chief Agriculture Officer. Chief Agriculture Officer for JV Companies and JV Farms of Yuma. Is that, that is correct. Okay. And um, so his livelihood and the livelihood of his company is making sure that we understand what resources are available as far as water goes and how we can continue making sure that the crop production is is, is healthy for the company and for most of us who consume the products that the company grows. Yep, need water. Uh, you know, I like to remind people that 80, 85% are the winter vegetables. So if you're eating a salad, a spinach salad, eating celery, more than likely it's coming from Yuma right now. So uh, if we don't have water, those things will disappear. We grow here because they really can't be grown other places. So I want to throw one thing in, and then I want to jump back to this 18% um, right off the top reduction. Everybody takes a haircut of 18%, and then we get back to the original agreements in the compact. At first, five years ago, and for the 20 years prior to that, we were hearing about global warming. That was the term that was used as far as what was happening to our environment. Now the term, and and terms seem to be changing on, on a political scale almost every day. But the term is climate change. It's not global warming, it's climate change. And every time there is a, a hurricane or a flood or a drought, it's saying, see, I told you, climate change. But in the history of the earth, there's always been hurricanes, floods, and droughts. We've been very well, very good at adapting as humans to our changing climate. And then we're a perfect example living here in Yuma, Arizona. We, we, I couldn't live here if we couldn't adapt really well to this very dry, arid climate that didn't have natural rainfall. But we were able to allocate the Colorado River, which has been unpredictable for eons, that just rushed through the Grand Canyon down through the Gulf of California and and poured into the ocean and creating a larger and larger sandbar into the Gulf of California. And so we created dams to reallocate the water and to manage how it was distributed and irrigate our farms until we've made this desert, which was typically uninhabitable, bloom. And now we're seeing, okay, our original figures of 18, 17 million acre feet of flow each year weren't accurate. And so we we over allocated between the states the amount of water that was available. And California, because it was using the water first in the lower basin states and even partially to the upper basin states, but there's, there's more of a conflict between Arizona and California because we're the biggest users of the, of the lower basin states and we allocate our water differently than the upper basin states. And uh, so the, the, the conflict is there's less water than we anticipated even in a normal year. That is correct. Forget the drought years. Forget the drought and so we need to take what was is accurate for a normal year and then reallocate according to what is reality, and that is reduce the apportionments by at least 18%, and that will allow 
the reservoirs to fill up during wet years and us to use those reservoirs during dry years, which is, quote-unquote, adaptation to climate change. That's, that's what we do. We adapt as humans to climate change. That's exactly right. So what we're trying to do is use the interim operating guidelines of the dams to solve this over-allocation problem. The interim operating guidelines of the dam was meant to operate the dams in exactly what's happened the last four or five years, these severe shortages, is what it was meant for. Not, But they're trying to use it to take care of the foundational problem, the river's over-allocated. Yeah. And now they're trying to get some, you know, changes to that for the next next three years. You got to remember that the current operating guidelines only go to 2026. Right. Then the seven states got to re-agree again on what the next 20 years of how they're going to operate the dams look like. And that came from the 2019 compact? That came... Uh, or agreement or whatever that's called. It came 20 years ago. So it came in 2000, uh, 2006... Oh uh, seven. Oh seven. Yes. Right. Okay. So oh seven originally this was proposed that we needed to make the changes, but there was another change in two thousand nineteen. Two thousand nineteen. Uh, I think it was a temporary change. Right. That's what they're proposing right now—a temporary change. Okay. See Did that three-year change. So yeah. So they've been working on the change right now for about three years. I- Okay. You know, so the change hasn't taken effect, but they saw they were in a drought situation. They saw the interim operating guidelines were not going to be enough to save the water levels in the dam. And now one of their big problems, the federal government, you know, if you if you listen to them, one of the big problems that they talk about try is, not to listen is to the federal government. oh, we're going to use electricity. We're, yeah. We got to cut off the generators. We got to cut off the generators. Uh-huh. Well, that's true if the lake levels keep going down, but they have a problem. They can't lose the power out of the dams because they got no place to replace it with. Well, see, that that seems like a a non-starter from the beginning because the water needs to flow either way. We need the water downstream. And so cutting off the generators is not going to create more water. It's not. The, The... but what happens is as the lake levels go down, they can't operate the generators because sure. they don't have enough head. But I'm like, wait a minute. If you look at the charter of the dams, it had three priorities. And in order, number one priority was stop flooding along the Colorado River. Yeah. Because, number two right, priority. flooded out all the crops and that made it, it uninhabitable. Number two priority was to deliver water to agriculture municipalities per their water rights. So for... Crops and farming, not right. for urban Number areas. three priority, which is kind of a byproduct and helps pay for the operation, is generate electricity. Yeah, that's kind of an added bonus. So now they're trying to make electricity then the number one priority and push the other two down. I still don't understand how reducing electricity is going to help anything. It's not, it's not they're reducing it on purpose. Yes. It's because the lake levels have gone down. They can't, redu- they can't generate electricity. They can't generate. That, that's, that's a byproduct of just not solving the original issue, which is the overuse right. of the water. And as the there. river continues down, one of the big pushes to maintain their current lake levels is so they can keep generating 
electricity. The lake levels can continue down, and the water will keep flowing downstream, mm -hmm. but they won't be able to generate electricity as that happens. So that, that brings me to two questions that I have. Um, one is Deadpool. It's a term that we hear. It sounds um, very ominous. And uh, two is it seems like the six other states, because there's seven states in this uh, Colorado River Basin that all have to agree on how to allocate the water in the Colorado River, seem to be on the same page. And they all submitted a single proposal signed by the representatives of the governors of those states to the federal government, the Bureau of Reclamation, as to how to deal with this water issue, at least in the interim. California was a single holdout on that. They said, no, we're not going to agree with the other six states. We're going to pr provide our own proposal, which they did. And um, I want to talk about the differences in those proposals. But first, let's, let's talk about that issue, Deadpool. So the term Deadpool, can you define that for us? Well, I've heard different people use it differently. So Deadpool, they generally talk about where they can't generate electricity or they can't get water out of the dams. For Lake Powell, it's about the same. For Lake Mead, Deadpool, where they can't generate electricity, is much higher than where they can't get get water out of the dam, yeah. where the tubes are. So that's what people want to talk about. They don't want power particularly to get down to Deadpool, one, because they can't generate electricity, and two, if they just let water come in and trickle over at whatever rate it comes in, they're afraid it might damage the turbines because that's the only method they have to get water out of uh, Lake Powell is through the turbines. There's a secondary set of tubes that they've, they've never used uh -huh. below that, but they're afraid if they send the amount of water they need to send through there, the, the flow of the river, it would damage those tubes and damage the dams. And those tubes were originally there because we got too much water, and uh, instead of allowing it to flow over the top of the dam, it'd flow through the dam. They would release some through the bottom, yeah. but they haven't been used in like 40 years or something. Uh, they, they basically were not really used for f let the whole river flow through those those tubes is what I understand. In fact, they were built too high. Right. Um, I, I don't know how many feet above the bottom of the lake they were built, but it's because they, they measure everything in, in sea level terms. Right. And so they say if, if, if it gets somewhere around, you know, 850 feet above sea level for Lake Mead, then that's Deadpool. Right. I don't know if that, that number is exact, but it's close. That's close. And uh, so Deadpool means the, the lake stays stagnant. But, okay, it stays stagnant for how long? Because the river is going to continue flowing into it. The river has not dried up. It's still... It's still flowing still flows you know and we st we're still getting seven million acre feet even but, in a bad year but the problem is lake powell if it gets down where they can't generate electricity their tubes they which is they they, they can't let it flow through the tubes because it damaged the dam and the tubes mm -hmm. so they have to let it just overflow but not generate electricity through the turbines mm -hmm. and that would damage all the turbines and all that infrastructure and they don't want that to happen sure if it flows through the turbines, they want it to generate, they want the lake levels to be high enough that they create enough pressure to do it. So the Powell right now is really the problem. So the issue, just to clarify for our listeners here, is damaging this infrastructure that 
provides clean, and this is legit clean energy, because we already have the infrastructure in place. We're not building a, a, a new power plant. We've got these dams in place. The water that flows through generates the electricity, which is used by millions of people in, um, a, a lot of it is used in California. And uh, so when we hear Deadpool, what I've heard people misinterpret that as is the lake becomes dead, like, kind of like the Salton Sea. And that's not the case. That's not the case. It's not the case at all. It's not this um, ecological catastrophe it, like Salton Sea is. The Salton Sea really was an accident to begin with. It was a total accident. And so just to be clear to the listeners out there, Deadpool doesn't mean Lake Powell goes dead. It doesn't mean Lake Mead goes dead. It means that we're unable to generate electricity from Lake Mead and Lake Powell, which is very, very beneficial, essential for us, especially for people that care about the environment because we need electricity to run our lives and, and, and hydroelectricity is the cleanest electricity that we have for those purposes right there because the infrastructure is already in place. That is correct. So we're not going to do any more damage if, even if you don't like dams, to the, the uh, environment by continuing the production of hydroelectricity. But the scare tactic seems to be the focus point and the talking point on that issue. Deadpool, these lakes are going to go dead. No, Deadpool means you don't get to use the beneficial energy that you didn't like in the first place that comes from the dams that you didn't want to build. That's That's the argument that I want to put out there to people that are just focused and, and religious about environmentalism and, and don't look at the bigger picture as to what's going on. So I, I love the environment. I love the outdoors. I love being on the river. I love having ample fish and wildlife being um, supported by the interaction of humans in the environment. I like all of that. But what I don't like is fear-mongering that uh, we've destroyed the West by creating these dams. Yeah, the dams are there. Uh, you know, they're not going away. Nobody's going to go blow up a dam. But some people do want some, to some get rid of them. Some people want to. They want those, those lower pipes to be used and even new pipes to be put in at lower levels on the dams and just say, forget it, let the Colorado River flow. I've, I've heard that argument from a lot of well, outs- Most of the arguments I hear about installing lower tubes has to do with that gets around the problem of, of uh, harming the generators and having the river have to flow through the generators to get downstream. We're going to have to take a break. I want to get back to why you're hearing that argument and what I'm seeing on the other end. But this is 560 AM KBLU. We'll be back in a minute. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM. I'm Sean Garner with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. I'm joined with my law partner, Adam Hanson, and Cody Beeson, as well as our special guest today, Matt McGuire of JV Companies, particularly JV Farms here in Yuma. And uh, he is our subject matter expert today. We're talking about water law and what is the issue. Is this uh, a mega drought that we're in, unprecedented, that we've never seen in what I'm reading in the newspapers and online, uh, a millennium? 
or is this a drought that is caused over uh, a water shortage from as far back as a thousand years, or is it and, and, and a man-made problem and, and climate change um, being manifest, or is it just simply a misunderstanding of how much river water was available generally and uh, the proper allocation of that water? So we are talking about that. Um, my opinion, and it seems like your opinion, Matt, who studied the river and the flow quite a bit, is that uh, the river is flowing a little bit less right now, but not 70% less or 60% less, which seems to be the narrative because the dams are down by 60 and 70%. And so it looks as if there's that much less water and we can't survive with that big of a cut and therefore climate change is, is spelling out our doom. When in reality, probably getting back to what the river actually has been flowing for the past hundred years and what those actual numbers were, if we can just reallocate according to the real terms of water flow, we would be either fine or at least much better off and sustainable for the foreseeable future. Am I? That's more or less correct. Okay. Uh, I think it's both at today in that the river's over-allocated, foundational problem, man's been taking too much out of the river. Yeah. yeah, we're taking too much out of the river. It's not that right. the river... All, all had, the headlines is the river is drying up. Well, we have had a lot less water the last four years, five years. Uh, I think last year's flow was 11.5 million acre feet. This year's flow might be less than that. Really? With all of the snowpack? No, no, this and, year past, oh, not gotcha, this gotcha. year future. Okay. I right gotcha. now, the snowpack's 120 to 140% measured upon different spots along the Colorado Basin. So a lot of snow and more coming. Yeah. Uh, so we're in, we're in much better shape. Last year there was a 67, what we're getting runoff for, just finished getting runoff for, we had a 67% of normal snowpack. Yeah. And because of the dryness from January, February, and March, we only got a 37% runoff. Wow. Last year. Now the year before that. Much more. That was the 11 and a half. So I have not heard this year's figures that we're finishing. I'm going to guess it's probably about seven and a half, eight would be my guess. But I don't know those figures. So, so river has gone down the last couple of years quite a bit. But with the river and the size dams we have and size reservoirs, we have to go on averages. And that's where that 15 million acre feet average versus the 17 million acre feet allocation becomes so important. Right. We got to fix that problem. Yeah. And then we can operate the river. So if we have three or four or five years of drought, we can adapt to it. You know, the, the guidelines tell us how to adapt to those things, how to cut water, how to take less. And then we'll get another snowy year like this more than likely because that's what's happened in the past. That's what's happening to central California right now. You talked about Oroville and Shasta. They're all filling up. They're, the snowpack up there is 240% of normal. California has so much water they don't know what to do with it, and yet they're still arguing about taking the Colorado River, which is really kind of irksome to me. But um, before I get too deep into that, Adam, I want to turn um, some time over to you about uh, an issue that you read up on. Well, Matt, I just want to thank you for coming in because you are so well-versed in this. And I think the average listener, and myself included, I, I mean, 
I hear things that are on mainstream media news most of the time, and I don't know what to believe anymore. I mean, last week we heard stories about what's coming out because of uh, suppressed information or fear-mongering. You used that term, Sean, earlier from our government uh, during the pandemic and how Dr. Fauci, he, he did some things that now are coming to light in order to scare the public into hunkering down and staying at home. The British government is also finding out that there were a lot of officials that were trying to fear monger and keep people in inside. So my question is, well, as we listen to these water experts talk, Matt and Sean, about what's going on, are there fear mongering tactics even happening around us regarding the water? That's what I, one question I have for you, Matt, is, is that your opinion? Is that it's really blown out of proportion when we hear these things. Are we being told the right things? And is there really a problem? Number one, I, I'm going to point to this article. So I am not an expert at all in this area. I live near the Colorado River, and that's about as close as I get to the subject. And I know that we have a lot of fun down in the river. We take our kids and our families. We float down the river. We go and play out in the Senator's Wash with the boat and stuff like that. But that's the extent of my knowledge of the Colorado um, and so in this article, I, I quickly did a Google, Google search. I said, Arizona water shortage. The very first thing that came up was an article that was a press conference from last year, May, May 6th of last year, 2022. And in that press conference, it was up in Phoenix. And it says the headline is Colorado River water shortage caused by climate change will require Phoenix and Phoenicians to adapt. Okay, so that's the title. I clicked on it. Sounds like clickbait, right? Climate change is the cause here. It's my fault. It's because of the, all the gas I burn and all the things that I do. Now I have a water shortage off the Colorado. Yeah, it's because you don't have an electric car. That's right. So, quote, this is the Mayor Kate Gallego in this, in this uh, press conference from last year. She says, researchers are serious when they tell us this mega drought is the worst in at least 1,200 years. I didn't know we were measuring droughts for 1,200 years. Apparently we are. The more we can encourage people and businesses to think creatively about how to reduce water consumption now, the better off we will be. What do you think, Matt? I'm neither a climate change advocate. I don't blame things on those. I deal with reality. Farmers deal with reality. And we I adapt to what's going on. I do think back in May, you got to remember, they just – no flows into the Colorado, 37% flow, uh, melt off of the snow. Roosevelt is, is three-quarters empty. Flagstaff's Mary's Lake and those up there all empty. And, and they're trying to look out. And, and you got to remember, back last June, May, they were talking that this La Nina would continue. And this winter would look a lot like last year winter, according to the scientists. So encouraging the population to do conserve water and think about it because they knew they were going to lose CAP. There was no question last May they were going to go to Tier 2 and they were going to lose the rest of the, the Central Arizona Project water that's diverted to Phoenix. Phoenix knew that, uh, and that's the law of the river. So the mayor and, and everybody, I assume, is, is saying, hey, we're in this mega drought. We're going to continue. we got to do something. You, the populace, have to help us. I think that's a valid uh, reason to the populace or, or, or think. Now, whether they got to blame it all on a mega drought or on and so forth, I don't know that I agree with that. 
Tell, tell the population the truth. Tell them, hey, look, guys, here's, here's the reality of the deal. Colorado is not flow, flowing significantly the last couple of years. Our lakes in Arizona aren't filling too significantly enough. We're depleting groundwater. We need to cut back. We need you citizens to help us cut back. Go to low-flow toilets, low-flow showers, quit watering lawns, take the lawns out, put in desert landscaping. Help us make our city a vibrant city. That I appreciate that more than someone throwing, you know, blaming all these problems on, you know, farmers in Yuma or uh, people who drive cars, gas cars, and climate change. You know, I, I'm just not to there. So we had the representatives of the Judiciary Committee here, what, three weeks ago, Sean? We got to drive them around. I don't know, um, Matt, if you were aware of that, if you were following that, but uh, they came down and they looked at the border and things like that. Well, as I drove them around, we were driving north of the eight, and so tons of farm farming, you know, beautiful fields, all green. And uh, they, they were surprised when I told them that the ag is strong here and that we supply so much to the world and that we're the lettuce capital of the world and the greens from your salads that you eat over in New York are from Yuma. And the salad that you eat up in Wyoming or over in Texas are from Yuma. And they, were, they, they had no clue that Yuma was so vibrant and, and instrumental to our food source so I think you, you talk about representation in Maricopa County, Pima County over in uh, California, um, and, and how they're kind of like the squeaky wheel getting all the votes and controlling things. I think things would change if our ag, if JV Farms were to reduce the amount that they're producing in, in uh, green vegetables uh, or leafy greens, I should say, um, that would probably get their attention. But we can't wait till that level, right? We can't wait till your farm production reduces to the level that it's a crisis. You can't just ramp it up and turn it down, ramp it up. No, that doesn't work. Up that doesn't and down, work. up and down doesn't work. It doesn't work. No. So that's my argument is let's just get other people, government's hands out of things and let us do what we do best. And that is thrive and capitalism thrive. And make the decisions to farm because you know how to farm and you know how to grow things, and uh, you don't need to be watched over or or uh, directed how to do that by anybody else that doesn't do it. Uh, these bureaucrats that sit in an office in Washington D.C. telling you how to do things doesn't really work here in Yuma, I would imagine. No, c- c- central control of a lot of things doesn't work. You have to have local control. Yeah. And what's best for the local populace. Yeah, I, I agree with that. that. We got to wrap it up. Uh, This is Life, Death, and Law. We'll talk to you next week. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Decent Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.